now it's already Thursday, and you know what that means. The weekend is almost here. Welcome into another postseason, divisional, playoff preview of the Strictly Stripes podcast. That was a mouthful. Muhammad Ahmad joined by Andrew Gillis. Mike Nislik has a day off after him and I talked all things Bengals O-line, which has been the biggest point of discussion. And speaking of which, uh, according to the Bengals' latest practice report, no change from Wednesday. Alex Kappa and Jonah Williams, each not practicing. Uh, another thing to monitor, Trey Flowers did not practice Wednesday with a hamstring injury. Same thing Thursday, he did not practice. Uh, as for full participation, Eli Apple, Joseph Osai, Mike Thomas, the safety special teamer, all in full participation. DJ Reader, who rested Wednesday, rest assured, literally and figuratively rest assured, uh, practiced Thursday. Um, he's in his seventh season of getting hit like all the time. So I think when you're at that point, you need that rest. So uh, Reader, looking good to go, of course, along with uh, Osai, who saw him in the locker room today. Um, kind of had like, I don't know how to describe it, but it was kind of like... Uh, a performance type thing around his shoulder wasn't like a sling or anything. Probably just something that I think a lot of those guys wear to reduce the soreness. So something must have happened in that game, but it doesn't seem like anything concerning since he's been practicing. Um, but speaking of the Bengals defense, uh, Andrew, actually, you know what? Before I even get into that, I almost forgot. I haven't brought this up in a while, but Cincinnati Football Insider. It's a new year. It's a new month. If you haven't signed up, make sure you do that. It's so simple. Easier than you think. Go to cleveland.com slash bangles. Click at the blue banner at the top of the page. It's a 14-day free trial to start. And if you like it and you want to stick with it, it's $4.99 a month. And you will not regret it. We'll give you all the exclusive insights and things that only you get as an insider, including subscriber podcasts and subscriber Q&A. All right here through Cincinnati Football Insider. But back to what I was saying, Andrew. Um, you know, with the defense – we could talk about forever and ever and ever. And what we're going to keep talking about now is just, you know, the Bengals red zone defense has always been pretty good all year. I mean, they're top five in the league and uh, allowing the fewest touchdown conversions uh, against their opponents, um, you know, in the league, they're I think number five right now, um, which what that rates like 50%. So if you're like an opposing offense and you are trying to score a touchdown on the Bengals defense in the red zone, your chances are as lucky as a coin flip, which is really good. And that goes back to Lou Anarumo. You know, he builds kind of on just preaching about turnovers, getting takeaways. We've seen a lot of that. We saw that from Sam Hubbard. But I think what people might overlook is not just that play where he caught the ball and ran. Like, I don't think that was pure luck. I don't think that was pure coincidence. Everything that went into that play goes back to everything that they've done on film, everything they've done in practice, whether it was Jermaine Pratt stonewalling Tyler Huntley, Logan Wilson hitting the ball out, and Hubbard being right where he was, kind of away from the interior on the outside getting the ball. It just says a lot about that red zone defense. And I think, I don't know if you'd agree, but I think going into Buffalo, that's your key is just stop Josh Allen in the red zone. Stop Stephon Diggs in the red zone. I mean, you want to... You don't want to get them into the red zone, right? But if, you know, they get there because they will because the Buffalo Bills have the second-best offense in the league, once they get there, you have to show why they don't look like the second-best offense in the league when they're in the red zone because, obviously, Josh Allen's kind of had some struggles with holding on to the ball, throwing the ball. Am I talking crazy or am I just spitting facts right now? No, I mean, it, 
I mean, I think you can make a pretty good case that this is where the game is going to be decided. Um, you know, Josh Allen and Joe Burrow are really good in the red zone. I think, you know, one of the things that, that obviously Josh Allen has that Joe Burrow just doesn't uh, is, is the running ability. Um, you know, Joe Burrow is not going to tuck and run. Uh, they're, they're not going to call design plays for Joe Burrow. Um, you know, you don't have that, that frame that you do with Josh Allen. Um, you know, guys have kind of compared it to, to tackling a tight end. Um, you know, defensive players for the Bengals, that is. So, um, you, I mean, that, and it's really difficult. Uh, it's really difficult of a task because, um, again, you know, you're talking a situation if it's third and four at the four, you know, third and goal, like th- that's a four-point play, that that play, you know. And, um, you know, because you're talking – at that point, you're talking field goal or touchdown. So, uh, yeah, it, it's a huge, huge difference. Um, you've got two of the best red zone teams in the league. Uh, and if one team – you know, if one team is able to to just, you know, one extra play in the red zone, kind of swing that in your favor a little bit, you got to be feeling good about uh, about where you're headed if uh, if you're able to punch it in from the red zone. I like that you said that this is where the game could be decided because I think, you know, we talked about this on Monday, me, you, and Mike, and then me and Mike talked about this on Wednesday when we taped our podcast. It's hard to say if the game is going to be strictly decided by – the offensive line was for the Bengals, assuming we don't see Alex Kappa and Jonah Williams, which is probably going to be the case because we didn't see them practice at all so far this week. Thursdays are usually kind of the giveaway. So I don't even know if that's what it's going to come down to because clearly like Joe Burrow is still better than he was last year. He's throwing the ball faster. He's moving the ball faster. He's escaping pressure better. Not that he wasn't doing that last year. He's just that much good. And a lot of it goes back to the fact that like, you know, he tore his ACL two years ago, so, like, he's still kind of getting back into that rhythm that he had really all the way back in college because those injuries last a long, long time, even after you recover. Um, so he's clearly overcoming that and getting better, which is kind of what he told me when I asked him about his, you know, his progressions and breaking away from pressure. But I really do think, though, the, the red zone is where this game will be decided. It'll be decided as to how well the Bengals can stop Josh Allen. You know, are they going to make Allen have those flimsy plays, those flimsy turnovers like he had against Miami? Granted, their defense is pretty good. And it's, you know, the converse is true too. Like Buffalo's defense is top 10 in the league. I said this with Mike yesterday. The Bills are one of only three teams in the league with a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. Eagles and 49ers are the other two. They could play in the NFC championship for all we know. So that speaks for itself. But, um, you know, that's the thing about Buffalo is, yeah, they have that good of an offense, uh, but they also have that good of a defense, you know, and uh, they've definitely shown that with, um, you know, like Mike and I talked about with that front four they have, you know, like if you just rush four, that's all you really need, especially to get to Joe Burrow. So it's going to come down to which offense can execute better in the red zone and which defense will make a better stop. But I guess, you know, kind of looking at it, what do you think is going to be the biggest challenge for the Bengals' defense beyond Josh Allen? Because I think we've we've talked so much about how good Josh Allen is, and we can make a whole podcast on that. But is it maybe Stephon Diggs? Like, is he going to kind of pick back up? You know, is it going to be a taller task for Cam Taylor-Britt or more of Mike Hilton who didn't play much? because of that triple option that they faced against Baltimore? You know, how much does it change for Mike Hilton? Like, how much harder is it going to be for Von Bell and Jesse Bates to cover all that ground? I mean, how much tougher is it, you think? Yeah, well, I mean, the challenge, I mean, I, I mean, all roads lead to Josh Allen. Uh, there's not really yeah. a way to say, uh, you, know, the bang, you know, the Bengals are going to be challenged here. 
with um, you know, without having to deal with Josh Allen. Cause I mean, that's just, that's just a unique task in and of itself. Um, but, you know, I, I think if, if you want to kind of split a little bit, um, Stefan Diggs is a really good route runner. Um, you've got guys that, that kind of play their role really well there. Um, Gabe Davis is a really good second receiver. Um, you've got Isaiah McKenzie, who's really good out there. Dawson Knox is a, is a pretty serviceable tight end. Um, you know, you, you've got weapons. They know how to use their running backs really well. Um, so you can, you can really kind of work with some of that stuff. Um, so I, I think the number one thing for the DBs is going to be you have to contain those guys. Um, and I think that that's the challenge because if we're talking non-Josh Allen division, um, you know, you're talking about a, a, a group of, of defensive backs here who you have to stay with your guy if you're in man-to-man coverage or if you're in zone coverage, you really need to communicate well because Josh Allen's going to roll out. Josh Allen's going to do all these, all the things that he's going to do. And if a play lasts four seconds, like go look at his, go look at his, uh, his passing chart from, from last week. I mean, he was launching that thing all over the yard. So you really, really have to be be disciplined when you're defending Josh Allen and uh, you know, with the receivers they have, I mean, that makes it, that makes it really difficult. Well, here's kind of the tricky thing with Stefan Diggs though. Up until the season finale, regular season finale against New England, where he had seven catches for over 100 yards, in his last three games before that against, mind you, the Bears, the Dolphins, and the Jets, he had a combined, I'm looking at this, 10 catches for just over 135 yards, which is almost about what he had against New England. Um, Clearly, he's still an elite receiver. I am not taking that away from him. I think people... Bengals and Bills fans would come after me if I were to say Stefan Diggs was not good because, like he says, I'm him. And I think he is him, but he hasn't really been him the last month. Um, and obviously, we really don't know how he would have played against the Bengals on Monday night because that game was nine minutes. And I think the Bills only had what well, they, they only had one offensive drive, right? Which was when they had to basically settle for a field goal. One drive, so we really didn't really see much from him on that drive. So it's hard to say what the Bengals can do against him, but is there really any concern that like he will be this explosive guy that everyone talks about? Not that yeah. he isn't, but yeah. will he actually do that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, there's concern. I don't know if he'll do it, but there's concern there. Um, you know, I think, you know, without having, you know, admittedly without having watched every single one of their games this year, um, you know, if you're just going to kind of box score, box score, uh, scout this guy, like they're still throwing him the ball. Um, you know, you look at kind of his targets and you look at where his targets are, um, you know, he's still getting the ball, you know, really with the exception of the Bears game, which was an outlier. I mean, nine, five, nine, ten, nine. Like they're they're forcing the they're forcing the ball to this guy almost double digit uh, times a game. They're not doing it as often as they were early in the year. Um, you know, like, you know, when they beat the crap out of the Titans in that uh, in that week two game, they you know, he had 15 targets and 12 catches like they're not doing that. Um, but they are spreading the ball around a little bit more evenly. Um, and I think, again, we, I mentioned this, what, whatever day I mentioned this Monday, maybe, um, the, you know, Josh Allen's elbow, I think is a real thing. Uh, I think it's a real concern in terms of, you know, how healthy he is, uh, and what he can do passing the ball. So I think that's a factor, but yeah, I mean, if you let Stefan Diggs take over a game, he will absolutely take over a game, drop 10 catches for 150 yards, and he will sing almost single-handedly beat you with Josh Allen. So, um, yeah, he's, he's absolutely a major concern. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously kind of like what a lot of teams were doing to Jamar Chase earlier this year with the kind of the cover to clouding him and T. Higgins. I think that's a lot of what the Bengals are going to do, um, especially in the red zone. But just in general, I think, because like someone like that, you can't let wide open. You pretty much have to cloud. But then the caveat is, like you mentioned, Gabe Davis. He had four touchdowns almost exactly a year ago when the Bills played the Chiefs in that divisional game last year. He even had the go-ahead touchdown with, like, what, 14 seconds left until Patrick Mahomes basically goes downfield and ties the game up to take it to overtime, which I still think that's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, playoff game of all time. But um, Gabe Davis can do it. I mean, he did it against a Kansas City team that was really close to going to the Super Bowl last year. The Bengals didn't play spoiler at Arrowhead. So, you know, it's just it's going to be really interesting to see because he, you know, if it's not Diggs, like, Davis can do it. And I know McKinsey, you don't hear his name a lot compared to like, say Tyler Boyd, if we're just comparing both teams, but like he had a really nice touchdown uh, in the season opener against LA that kind of told me like, okay, this, again, I don't watch Bill's games as much like you said, but I don't, wouldn't doubt that McKinsey uh, can make damage when he gets open. So like you can already expect it, whether it's Mike Hilton or, you know, whoever's not lined up on digs and, uh, Gabe Davis, like, yeah, they're going to be all over McKenzie because that, that's a tough guy. Um, you know, Mike Hilton was joking this week. He he told Lou Anarumo in the second half because he pretty much didn't play second half. He goes, Lou, I want to be one of the best 11 out there. And, of course, you know, Anarumo didn't really use him because when you're playing a triple option, you need more extra linebackers and extra nickels. That's why you had Marcus Bailey playing a bunch of snaps in that game. Um, you know, he even made that block that let Sam Hubbard score. So, you know, maybe they use some of that too. I mean, Marcus Bailey, I know he's mostly special teams, but like he's made some good plays at linebacker. He played in the divisional round last year, so we could see some of that again. But it's going to be very interesting to see what they scheme up. But folks, don't go away. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by my special guest who I meant to preview earlier. Richard Skinner from Local 12 in Cincinnati joins me as we talk all things Bills Bengals. And we debate, like everyone's been deba- debating, the discussion of Joe Burrow versus Josh Allen. Much, much more when we return on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. Joining me is my special guest, Channel 12 columnist Richard Skinner, who has covered the Bengals for how long, Skinny? It's been a while now. Yeah, it's been off and on. I mean, I, I worked uh, back in the 90s, covered them some, but then I also worked for a paper here in town, and I covered uh, high schools, and I covered the University of Kentucky for five years, bounced back to the Bengals. So probably since 2013 continuously for the Inquirer for a couple years, and now for Local 12, local12.com. Yeah, you mentioned University of Kentucky. There's a little bit of overlap because, you know, for those who don't know, uh, who haven't heard, I went to Kentucky and I covered them in college too. So Kentucky guys just got to stick together, right? That's right. No question about it, man. Kentucky's a whole separate entity. It's so weird, you know, because I actually live on the Kentucky side. And in some ways, it's like Northern Kentucky is part of the Cincinnati tri-state area. But like, does Northern Kentucky ever feel like a world of its own? Because it really does. Well, it's funny you say that. So I grew up in Northern Kentucky and um, went to the University of Kentucky as well. And my father father, when we lived in Crestview Hills, Kentucky, there was a judge who lived next door to us, and he literally had written a paper of Northern Kentucky seceding and becoming its own state, because it, it never, Cincinnati, it never feels like a part of Cincinnati, it never feels like a part of Kentucky, it is, it's kind of its own little world, this three-county area, Boone County, Kenton County, and Campbell County, so yeah, it's a, it's a different world. Yeah, it, it really is, but I mean, being from Kentucky, I guess I'm just biased, being a homer, I was like, hey, I get to have the best of both worlds, so I think people in Northern Kentucky are just a little bit spoiled, but um, <laughs> that's a debate, I think that's going to be going on until uh, the end of time, but 
As of right now, though, I think the big discussion and debate isn't that. It's the Bills and the Bengals, of course, meeting up this weekend. And I think really, if you want to start anywhere with this game, um, from just a X's and O standpoint, I think kind of like what people talked about before the Monday night game a few weeks ago, it's Burrow versus Allen or Allen versus Burrow, however you want to put it. But I mean, when you think of a matchup like that, obviously, we only got to see nine minutes of that Monday. I mean, can you really take away anything from that? And like, if not, what do you want to see in this game that might be different from what we saw on Monday? Yeah, no, I think you can. And, and we've asked Joe that question, right? We've asked Zach Taylor that question, Brian Callahan that question, Luana Rumo that question. Um, I think for Joe Burrow, the thing you can take from that is you you had that first drive. I think you take a lot of confidence from that. At least I know I would. That, hey, we had a figured out plan. We had a pretty good plan for this game. And it worked on drive one. It was working, it looked like, on drive two. Um, while obviously Buffalo was going to have a chance to do some adjustments of their own throughout the course of the game. I do think that that, that for Joe Burrow and for the offensive coaching staff, they can look and go, all right, we can attack them this way, and, and there's nothing they can do about it because we did it. And I think that's the part. You can take some confidence from those nine minutes if you're the Bengals' offense. This is a debate that you could have now, that you could have tomorrow, and you could have forever for how, however long Burrow and Allen are going to be in the league, and even once they're both retired. But, I mean, as of right now, with the window we've seen from both of their respective careers, who do you think is the better quarterback? I know it's a loaded question, but if you just kind of had to go on a whim, who would you say is the better quarterback? Yeah, I think it, I think they're both unique to what, what their teams allow them to do or what they do for their teams, I guess. You know, Josh Allen's the gunslinger, the big guy who can run through you, and Joe Burrow's kind of the, he's just going to pick you apart little by little by little and 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 do those things um if i was starting a franchise i i don't think you can go wrong with either i know that sounds like a cop out um and i guess being around joe burrow and watching what he's done for this franchise in this city um i think i would take i would, I would take joe burrow but it'd be really close and i think to your point i mean in the afc the, the window for all these guys is right now open but man you got to go through if you're burrow you got to go through allen and mahomes and probably herbert at some point maybe in lamar jackson again whenever he gets healthy and flip side for those guys they got to go through burrow too i mean the afc right now is loaded with star-studded quarterbacks that just getting out of the afc to the super bowl is going to be really really difficult for all of them i think the interesting thing about what you just said is for the longest time in the better part of the last decade it was brady manning roethlisberger uh rivers when he was in his prime and a few other names you could mention here and there but but Rivers never got his team over the hump, though. Those other exactly. guys, but you're right, but he was certainly in that conversation, yeah. Yeah, and I think even, too, like, you could say at one point Flacco because he took the Ravens to a Super Bowl title, but the Bengals were always kind of on the outside of that. They were always on the outside watching in or on the inside watching out, however you want to put it, because Dalton just could never get against those guys. He couldn't even beat Rivers. Um, he beat... Brady once here in Cincinnati, I think his third season, and since then he just couldn't beat him in his next two meetings. Um, with Manning, besides that one Monday night game here in Cincinnati, they couldn't beat Manning most of the time uh, when they played him when he was in Indianapolis and in Denver. But now it's like not only are the Bengals beating Mahomes, beating Allen, but they're doing it with one of those guys who's in the conversation. So like kind of going back to what you said about what Burrow's done for this franchise and not take away from what Andy Dalton or Carson Palmer did, how much have you really seen Joe Burrow light up the city? Because it just seems like, aside from his first year when he got hurt, it's such a different atmosphere in Cincinnati, not just within the organization, but in the city. No question. There's just such a difference. Because I remember, like I've been following the Bengals for so long, and I've talked with Andrew and Mike about this on the podcast, but I think in Andy Dalton's last year, which was Zach Taylor's first year, they go 2-14, and 14, not the best start Zach Taylor wants to have. And I think at that point, tell me if I'm wrong, 
that was the greatest rift between the city and the franchise, I think. And now it's the total opposite. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was, you know, at that time they hire a coach that was a quarterback's coach. And it felt like he kind of went above his grade. Usually you're going for coordinators and he's a young guy, don't know much. First couple years didn't go well, but some of that he was turning over the roster in the right way. And you did. You got lucky to to have that first pick overall the one year to get Joe Burrow. And the next year they have the fifth pick to get Jamar Chase. But Joe Burrow has, has changed everything. Um, Carson Palmer was a was a really good quarterback, had obviously a lengthy career. You can argue a Hall of Fame career, perhaps, but wasn't a dynamic personality. And he wasn't a dynamic personality. It's funny, Joe isn't dynamic person, but he's got everybody, he's got that Joe cool. And I think that's that what Joe Shiesty. Yeah, and the fact that the answer he gave to us yesterday of I never feel like an underdog. I mean, that, that's being cocky without being cocky, right? Exactly. I mean, that was so well, that was one of the greatest answers ever to a question of exactly. I never feel like an underdog. And so I think everybody rallied around. And then the fact the performance that he puts on top of that. I mean, he took a team to a Super Bowl. Takes them right back to the cusp of it again this year. Um, I think that's why the city has quickly fallen in love with Joe Burrow. And going back to the cusp of it with this game in Sunday, which, you know, this is the first time in franchise history the Bengals have had seasons where they won playoff games in back-to-back seasons. Celebrating beyond that, I mean, you know, you're going to Buffalo. You're going to play in a really cold environment. I think the latest forecasts have said there's going to be some amounts of snow. Although nothing like what we saw when the Bills played the Dolphins no. last month. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, because I am not a fan of the snow <laughs> at, at that level at least. But, you know, um, it's not like they haven't played in cold places before. It's not like they haven't played in tougher environments sure. before. I mean, he's played in New England, which is freezing cold and tough. He's played in Arrowhead, won the AFC Championship there. And he played at Death Valley in college of all places. So it's not like this guy hasn't seen tough environments. But could you say that this might be the toughest playoff environment he's been in up to this point? I think Arrowhead's pretty darn good, man. I think so, too. Uh, that, I really that, do. That atmosphere there for playoff games is insane. So um, it's up there. But again, I think to his answer yesterday of, of you're there with your guys and kind of relish, you know, the, everybody's against you and it's just you and the guys. And I, I think he really does that. And let, let's face it. I mean, Tennessee was probably a very vulnerable number one seed last Absolutely. year. Absolutely. But still, you went to Tennessee and won the playoffs last year. You went to Kansas City and won in the playoffs last year. Um, there's nothing to say that he can't go to both because that's the thing. He's done these yeah. kind of things before. So, yeah, it's going to be crazy if DeMar Hamlin is, is on hand, which I think we expect he oh, will yeah. be. That oh, place yeah. will become unhinged in the, in the pregame. But I think for Joe Burrow, it's just one of those moments that he relishes in everybody against us. It's me and my guys. Yeah, and I know you mentioned DeMar Hamlin. That's kind of like the sort of the outer layer of the national conversation of this game, you know, from just outside of Cincinnati and um, I guess really within Buffalo outside of Cincinnati because, of course, we know what happened on Monday night um, and the priority is that he got better and he's healthy and he's with the team. I think that's really helped Burrow and really the rest of the team kind of move on from that horrific scene when he collapsed on that Monday night game. But, you know, I think what's also nice, too, is, you know, when you go into these kind of playoff games, like you got trash talk between one side and the other, but you don't really have that with this game. I mean, sure, there's confidence. Like, like you're not going to see Joe Mixon or Joe Burrow have any sort of confidence, but you're not going to see them attack the Bills or attack the fans or attack anybody because it's it's such a and you've seen this because you've been here for uh, quite some time now in some ways i think you can make a case that the bills and the Bengals have the strangest but friendliest dynamic for any two fan bases in the nfl am i going over the hump by saying that no and it kind of started with with andy dalton that year throwing a touchdown pass to tyler borden baltimore that actually allowed buffalo to go to the playoffs and those fans then 
turned around and ended up paying uh, to Andy Dalton's foundation all, way more money than anybody could have ever imagined. I think that kind of started the process. And then we're linked up here again with the DeMar Hamlin situation and um, you know how that all transpired and the way Cincinnati reacted to that. And I think Buffalo fans appreciate that. I think they're two f- fairly similar communities, two blue-collar communities. Absolutely. Two of the smaller markets in the NFL. Um, so I think there's a lot of things that do link the two franchises. Yeah, it's not too often you get two small markets like that playing each other in the playoffs. Kind of reminds me of when the Titans and the Bengals played because Nashville's somewhat of a right, small market. Right. It's not as small as Cincinnati. It's bigger, but compared to like New York no, and right, Dallas right. and L.A., yeah. Denver certainly, uh, we could say small market in that sense. But, you know, once those teams are on the field, it's going to be competition. It's going to be strictly business. Joe Burrow's going to have to work with potentially without three-fifths of his offensive line, his starting offensive line. Um, I've been talking about this with Mike. I, I talked about this with Andrew a little bit. Is this in some ways worse than what he had to deal with in the playoffs last year, or is it just as bad? Is it different, or I, is it just so hard to say? I think it's different. Um, you know, he, he got sacked nine times in, in that Tennessee game. A for playoff Minnesota. record. You know, um, last week when Jackson Carmen came in, I think he got he gave up a sack, but he only got sacked four times, and a couple of those even were, were really on Joe, probably more so than the offensive line. So I'm gonna. I'm going to go with last year was, was honestly worse because you, you saw why they got rid of it. I mean, they, they overhauled the offensive line other than Jonah Williams. I do think— And Hakeem Adinaji. Yeah, well, and Hakeem switched spots, too, because he was right. a right guard. Now he's playing right tackle. I, I, I do think it's going to be interesting to see how Jackson handles this on a 60-minute full-game yeah. basis. It was one thing to come into the game last week the way he did, and he was on the field for their long touchdown drive to start the second half, so you got to give him some credit for, for that part of it. But um, I still think it's a big ask, and, and yeah, we're going to find out for sure on Sunday. Before I get to the Bengals' red zone defense, which is obviously the the silver lining and optimism for this team heading into Buffalo, you know, with Jackson Carmen, what happened with him? Me and Mike debated this so much the other day, and I'm trying to understand how somebody who was a tackle at Clemson, five-star recruit coming out of this area, Fairfield, Ohio, which is just a half hour north of Cincinnati, highly recruited in the area nationally, uh, won a national championship in college, played with T. Higgins, played with Trevor Lawrence, backed up the number one overall pick, and is backing up another number one overall pick, and he's just not materializing. Is it him? Is it just the adjustment? Is it just that big of a gap between Clemson and the NFL? No, I think you saw it in the very first training camp practice last year, his rookie year, when he was running with a third team. And I think a lot of it had to do with professionalism, and it had to do with knowing what was, you know, knowing your playbook and and being a pro. And I think that kind of bled a little bit into this year. And I think he even said it yesterday to us. He's kind of been humbled. And maybe sure. maybe in the end, this guy's going to have a ten year career, maybe as a left tackle for all we know. Who knows? Uh, right. I mean, but I think a lot of it was on him to become the professional that he needed to be. And I don't think you hear Ted Karras or, or other people, Brian Kelly, I think, talking about, talking about him in that term now of, of how proud he is of Jackson right. and, and, and all those things. Yeah. And I think that's important. Um, and hopefully for him, I hope he does have a ten, full 10-year career. But it got off to a bad start because of him. You know, and I'll admit... I'm glad you brought that up because I've been a little bit harsh. I've been actually very critical of, oh, you know, he got in a fight with Justin Houston in that Week 18 game when he pushed him out of bounds on the Ravens' sideline. He hasn't really met the expectations. He was inactive most of this year. Didn't do well last year, but it could just be more of like, it's not even physical. I think his physical tangibles are great. I think it's just mentally. Like, it's a maturity thing. And I think it's sometimes, a maturity thing. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, we focus so much on this guy. He's like 6'4". He's 300 pounds. He did this in college. He did this in high school. But we don't talk about what's up here. We don't talk about the mental side of it. And, I mean, that's obviously kind of a conversation between him and the team. But it just seems like, yeah, there's a lot of immaturity. I think a lot of just like, you know, growing up. Like, they, they really said, yeah, he's 
they haven't said word for word he's grown up, but they've implied, like you said, that they're proud of his progress, proud yes. of his athleticism, which I think is a coded and, way of saying that. Yeah, and I, and I don't think they'd say that if they didn't believe that or if they, if no. they hadn't seen it themselves. I think no. they're seeing that themselves. But, and for him to say yesterday, you know, I've kind of been humbled by this. I think that was a big step for him too, uh, Muhammad. I, I, you know, yeah. I think that's him kind of admitting, you know, speaking to truth in, in, to power. So um, you're right. All the physical traits are there. Now let's go see him do it on Sunday. And like I said, to kind of go back to the red zone defense, which I think will put a bow on this lengthy discussion, which I appreciate again from oh, yeah. you. You know, the Bengals red zone defense is fifth in the league in uh, allowing touchdowns in the red zone percentage-wise. They have the second best uh, percentage in allowing the fewest touchdowns in the red zone in the last three games, including that playoff win. You know, and a lot of it goes back to what Jesse Bates and Von, Del- Von Bell talked about having the, you know, the meetings, the meetings right. talking about the low red zone, the high red zone. James Betcher, the linebackers coach, has been kind of the, the big brains behind that. Luana Rumo has helped kind of run those meetings on the weekends, at least from a film point of view. Um, it's so interesting hearing them talk about that. I mean, obviously everyone watches film. Everyone breaks it down. But is there anything different about the fact that, you know, Jesse Bates and Von Bell do a certain way when it comes to looking at film? Yeah, I think I think that being players-driven, that little thing that those two hold each week, I think is important. And I think that it, 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 it as I think Vaughn said, it comes down to such minute details oh, yeah. in the red zone. And the more you hone in on those minute details, I think that's why you have success. I don't think it's luck that no. they have success in the red no. zone. I think it's because they really take pride in red zone defense. And this game, above all else, is going to hinge on the red zone. Yeah. Buffalo averages over 400 yards a game. They are going to move the football. They will. They may move it at will during this game. But as you saw in the Monday night game, as goofy as it sounds, we only saw nine minutes. Bengals drive for a touchdown. Yep. Buffalo comes right back. But yep. what happened once they got to the red zone? Held them to a field exactly. goal. And I think that's the biggest key to this game. Whoever, Whichever team has the most success, however you want to put it, in, in the red zone is going to win. For those four points may just I, mean, I don't think either defense stops the other. It's a matter of do you hold them to three or do you allow them to get seven? And I think that's the the major differentiator in this game. And that's the thing too is like people look at that play from Sam Hubbard. What do you want to call it? The Hubbard yard dash or the rumble on the jung rumble in the rumble jungle, jungle, rumble on the river, yep. whatever you want to call it. You can call it whatever you want. That was not luck. That was not luck. There's a reason why Hubbard was kind of away from the pile waiting for the ball to come. There's a reason why Jermaine Pratt came up to Huntley first and then Logan Wilson being six foot two leaps over him, hits the ball Correct. out. It was perfect. And even if you go underneath the pile, DJ Hill and DJ Reader didn't allow push. They didn't allow a push to where Huntley had to leap yep. and he got stonewalled by Pratt and he got the ball hit out by Wilson and Hubbard was there to scoop it. And even though he ran a four nine five in the combine, he still was fast enough to get past Mark Andrews. That is not by coincidence. That is not by chance. I agree that is you. because of minute details. No, I agree with you. And I, I think there was a, the, a series of plays that epitomized this defense. It started with Jesse Bates hustling over to tackle Huntley at the two-yard yep. line. It came from Absolutely. Cam Sample barely getting a finger on a pass to, to Ricard in the flat that was going to be an easy touchdown, yep. jumping as high as he could. Von Bell then stoning Gus Edwards on the next play. Yep. And then, as you mentioned, all those different guys that played a part. And literally, an inch from the goal line, they fought to the very last inch of the goal line, and I thought that epitomized this defense in a nutshell, and everybody doing their job on that on that fateful play. The Bengals still have to win two more games before they get to the Super Bowl, but if somehow we're talking about this a month from now, if the Bengals win the Super Bowl, or even 10 years from now, we could say that play very well saved their season. No question. Very well saved their season. I, I've, I've been to the Yoke on some interviews I've done this week. with the different. I, I truly believe if Tyler Huntley gets in the end zone, that's the final score, 24-17 Baltimore. And, and we're going to be looking at this season of what happened, how did we get here, but yep. instead we're looking at, we got, not we rather, but they that got right. here because of 
the Hubbard Yard Dash. Exactly. And Crazy. so, you know, where it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they use um, their red zone play calls against Buffalo. It's going to be different because Mike Hilton played the fewest snaps he's played in the game this year. With Baltimore, they have that triple option. So you're playing more 13 sure, personnel sure. than 11 personnel. Um, he even joked about it, telling Lou, hey, I want to be in the game. But, of course, you know, when you got a triple option, you, there's really not much of a need for Hilton. Although, he still had a sack he on He had Huntley, a sack and he had a tackle for loss. And he almost sacked Josh Allen the first time That's they right. played. So, like, you can expect a lot of corner blitzes, a lot of pressure. You're going to see Bell either playing the two high safeties or they're going to use him in the box, which is why they won the game at New England when he forced a fumble on Ramondre right. Stevenson. That's right. It, it's just so amazing, really, what Lou and Irmo has done. I, I think it's honestly unfair sometimes that he's not considered an elite play call. And I think he really should be considered for a head coaching job. Even if he doesn't take it or doesn't get it, he has, he has to be considered. I mean, what he's done is unbelievable. Yeah, I think he'd be great at it. I think he'd be a great delegator, um, and he'd come from the defensive side of that. I think he'd be a great head coach. He is a great defensive coordinator. There's no doubt. That Staten Island demeanor, as he always says. Yeah. He's got that Italian in him. Well, Richard, there's never enough time on this podcast, but uh, this was a fun one. You have a lot of great insights, which I appreciate, appreciate you bringing on, but... I will see you in Buffalo, and uh, thank you again for your time. Mohammed, thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Yes, sir. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for staying with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. So, Andrew, I was just talking with uh, Skinny, as we call him, Richard Skinner, but, you know, you and I call him Skinny. I was talking with Skinny, and a lot of what we talked about in our discussion revolved around, you know, Burrow versus Allen. Uh, Allen versus Burrow, however you want to phrase it. I guess it'd be Burrow versus Allen because it's in Buffalo, technically, if we're using that system. But um, like you said, there there's so many similarities and differences between the two that, like, he made a good point. Skinny did. Like, you can't really say one's better than the other because they're just so unique. Like, you know, Josh Allen, like we all agree on, and Skinny agrees on this, like, he's the big 6'5", like, 230-pound quarterback. Like, you know... Speaking of Sam Hubbard, who we've talked about for the last week, he's basically Sam Hubbard size playing quarterback. Like, could you imagine just Sam Hubbard? I don't know. I think when he was at Muller High School, he played safety. But, I mean, imagine if that guy played quarterback with the size he is. Like, that's almost to an extent, not completely, but to an extent what you're going up against with Josh Allen. If that kind of helps people understand how big he is. Um, he'll have the flashy plays. He'll have the... You know, the, the, the kind of like, like with Patrick Mahomes, although to a lesser degree, he'll, he'll kind of run on you when the play is dead. It's not really dead. Like he's that kind of guy. And then with Joe Burrow, you know, yeah, he might not bulldoze you and he might not be like the guy like Mahomes who can make anything happen on a whim, but like he can elude you. Um, he's much more focused. He's much more pinpoint with his accuracy. Um, but again, I don't think it's that – I don't know that we could say one's better than the other. If if we're going to even get to that conclusion, I think we need a couple years. I know we've seen three years of Burrow and about five years of Allen, but I think we still have a long way to go before we could declare one better than the other. And I think the same goes with like Burrow and Mahomes. I know Mahomes has always lost to Burrow, but like if we're talking about strictly their numbers, like I still, still think it's kind of early to say who's better than who. Don't no, you think no, you don't? I, I agree. Uh, no, no. Uh, oh, well, hold on. Patrick, Come on now. Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the sport. Like, let's. For now. For now. I'm saying yeah, that well, could I mean, change. He, he, that he could change. For, he, he has been for years. I just, I don't know, aside from like a debilitating injury, I don't know what possibly could knock Patrick Mahomes off course. Um, it's Patrick not Mahomes knocking him off ridiculous. course, per se. You well, know, no, I'm saying, but like, what, what could overtake him? Like, I don't think that's I, – I just don't see that happening because I don't see – like Mahomes is playing at such a level where he's very clearly, in my eyes, the best quarterback in the sport. 
Um, and then I think Allen's better than Burrow right now. I don't know. Like, I understand that, like, um, you know, saying, okay, maybe we can give it a few years to say who's the better core, you know, who has a better career, you know, things like that where it's, but I mean, it's not a draft class. Like I think, you know, you like every year, you know, you see those draft classes, you know, the grades on, you know, May 4th. And it's just like, Hey, you know, this team gets a B and this team gets a D and this team is, I, I don't think you need to do that with this. I think, I, I mean, in my eyes, it's, it's, it's a pretty clear um, one, two with, with Mahomes and Allen. Um, I'm not saying Joe Burrow's not right on their heels. Um, and he's not like, he's not right there in third, but, uh, I, like this year to me, it's, it's been Mahomes, Allen and Burrow. And like Mahomes is, is just such a unique talent. And Josh Allen is just such a unique talent. So like, I, you know, I understand Joe Burrow is a great quarterback. He's a franchise, you know, he's a franchise quarterback. He's a quarterback you can win a Super Bowl with. He's a Super Bowl, you, or he's a quarterback you want to have uh, on your team lead you to a Super Bowl because you know he can win one. But I, I just don't. I, I just look at Mahomes and Allen, and I see things that Joe Burrow just physically can't do, um, and that you know that just does a lot for me. Um, so I, you know, I think it's I think it's Mahomes and Allen one two, and then Burrow's three. But you don't think there's also things that on that argument, if you flip that, you don't think there's things that Burrow can do that. Mahomes and Allen can't do like we're talking about pinpoint accuracy. There's no doubt. I I actually want to say with respect to Mahomes, I think Burrow's a much more pinpoint accurate passer than either of them. Allen for sure. Mahomes is debatable, but I still think you could argue he's more of a pinpoint accurate passer than Patrick Mahomes. You know, and maybe there's other attributes you can weigh more than the other. Like you mentioned uh, their sizes, you mentioned their abilities to like keep the play alive. But you also have to consider this. I think people don't really realize this. Like, Joe Burrow made a point that I didn't think about. He tore his ACL in his rookie year. There's a reason why I think last year he didn't really do – not saying he didn't do a good job. He didn't do as good of a job eluding sacks last year. And he didn't do as good of a job, like, being mobile in cases where he should have been. Like, I think he had season-saving plays, like that third down against Kansas City that led to the go-ahead field goal in the AFC Championship and other examples. But – you got to remember, like, I don't know that his his knee healed, which is why he played, right? Like, we all know that. But he said himself, like, my ACL has been healing since I tore it, you know, against the – not the commanders. Well, I guess technically the commanders now at the time Washington football team in 2020. It's a progression. Like, I don't know that Tom Brady was 100% like himself after he tore his ACL in 08. Like, that year after and the year after that were two different years. 09 Brady was not the same as 10 Brady. 10 Brady won the MVP. 09 Brady, I mean, he took his team to the playoffs, but they lost to the Ravens, I think, in the first round, which almost never happened at that point in New England when he was there. So I just really think you have that. And, like, don't forget, uh, Andrew, he had an appendectomy before the season, and that probably was why he threw four interceptions against the Steelers. If he didn't have that game... Unless you want to be really hard on him about the Browns game in Cleveland, I still think you could make an even stronger argument for him to win MVP because I think he's already ahead of Allen in the odds. He should be ahead of Allen in the odds for those reasons I mentioned, among other reasons. And on top of that, like the only thing that has Mahomes ahead of him is just the fact that Burrow had a horrible week one game and a pretty bad game against Cleveland on Monday night in week eight. If it's not for those two games, even if, say, they lose to Dallas – and they lose to Baltimore, and they even somehow lose one of those other two games, 
there's a strong argument to be made. So I think next year, and I know I'm kind of forecasting in the future, but since we haven't really talked about the MVP discussion and it's coming up soon, the, the awards are in a couple of weeks. I really think this is all the precipice for Joe Burrow having an MVP season next year. Look, next year he's probably going to have Jamar Chase and T. Higgins by his side, should have him by his side. We'll have Tyler Boyd for another year. Um, assuming what happens with Hayden Hurst, he could have him back, depending on free agency. So, I mean, he could still have his weapons. That offensive line, I think, uh, assuming they get healthy in the offseason after these injuries, they'll be kind of back up to speed. You don't think Burrow can win MVP against those two? I think he could. If not next year, I yeah, think later I mean, on. Yeah, I mean, he could win MVP next year. I, I mean, I, I've said this before on this podcast. Like, I think, you know, if I um, you know, if I were ranking these guys, it would be Mahomes 1, Hurts 2, Burrow 3. Um you know, like, like, I, like, again, I, I just think Mahomes is in such, Mahomes is in such a unique category. Like, I think he's in a tier, like, up in his own. Like, I think it's Mahomes one, and then there's a split. I, I don't think you really, I don't think it's like a one, two, and these are the best three quarterbacks in the sport. Um, so yeah, but I, you know, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, Burrow can win MVP. Like, obviously, you know, I'm saying Jalen Hurts. Uh, should be above Burrow and MVP. I'm not saying I would take Jalen Hurts over Joe Burrow if, if I were picking a team. Um, you know, I would want Burrow there. But um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think to be an MVP, you need to have, you know, a lot of things go right. Um, you know, I kind of harped on this towards the end of the season. I didn't know the Bengals are going to win eight in a row, uh, you know, but the Chiefs went 14 and three. And like that obviously has a really significant factor um, as to, you know, whether a quarterback can win because, you know, you look at Patrick Mahomes' numbers and they're ridiculous. You know, 5,200 yards, 41 touchdowns. Um, you know, he was throwing the ball everywhere and they went 14 and three. But if they, if he has those same numbers and goes, you know, 10 and seven, I, I think we're having a little bit of a different conversation um, as it relates to uh, as it relates to the MVP. But uh, so you need a lot to go right. But I mean, yeah, I mean, Burrow is going to kind of be in that conversation, at least to start the year for for the rest of his career. I don't think that's unfair to say. Yeah, I hear all of that. And I mean, like I said, I am forecasting way too far into the future, but that's why we can have fun on this podcast because we can just imagine and dream. I know Mike doesn't like to do that, but Mike's not here, so we can do that. But I know Mike is listening to this and laughing somewhere, so it's it's always a, a fun blast. But folks, stay tuned tomorrow. The whole crew is going to be back at it as we give you our full previews, full predictions, break down the rest of the big storylines as we enter the weekend, as we head to Buffalo, where we'll also be, us three will have our post-game podcast on Sunday, so make sure you tune in for that. But again, if you haven't already signed up for Cincinnati Football Insider, go to cleveland.com slash Bengals. Click at the blue banner at the top. You'll get the latest insights and information straight from us, straight from your Bengals insiders right here on cleveland.com. Once again, for myself and Andrew Gillis, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. See you Friday.